0: Christ is risen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, after the death of her brother Lazarus, Martha comes weeping at Jesus' feet, grieving that if he had only come sooner, then maybe her brother would not have died. But then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It is perhaps one of the most important, if not the most important question that has ever been asked of those who seek to follow Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because there are some pretty massive implications if we don't. John Irving wrote this in his book, A Prayer for Owen Meany. He said, I find that Holy Week is draining. No matter how many times I've lived through his crucifixion, my anxiety about his resurrection is undiminished. I'm terrified that this year it won't happen, that 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 year it didn't. Anyone, he says, can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas. But Easter, Easter, he says, is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a believer. Wow. What makes the resurrection so central that Irving can make that kind of a bold claim you're not even a believer if you don't believe it. What's the big deal? Why such a huge significance? What's the hype about this? Well, simply for this reason, because it was the resurrection that formed the church. The early Christians, especially those who had professed to seeing the risen Lord, staked everything on the fact that not only did he die, but that he rose again. And that was what confirmed him as Lord. Acts 4 says this, that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus. That was their message. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. That was their focus. That was their message. That was their testimony. Not the miracles, not, the, not who he claimed to be and who he didn't claim to be, although that was, of course, important. Not just his death, because his death alone, as they now realized, no pun intended, was a dead end. The cross by itself, as a friend has recently put it, was unfinished business. The work wasn't yet done. Everything then hinged on the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, which was nothing short of revolutionary. Because as N.T. Wright puts it, when the early Christians said that Jesus had risen from the dead, they knew that they were saying something that had never happened before to anybody. There were no ancient myths or legends or stories or tales about people coming back to life as themselves. Reincarnation, sure. Life after death in some sort of spirit world, sure. But resurrection? Never. Nobody had that kind of power. For those early Christians, this new event was where all of their hope sprung from. It's why the whole New Testament is built on this truth that Jesus died and was resurrected. Without the resurrection, there was no hope because nothing had changed. There was nothing new. Think for a moment about the power that death has over us and the ways that it continues to have control over the human mind. Think about the ways that we continue to avoid it at all costs, how we fear it, how it terrifies us, how we dread it ever happening to somebody that we love. That's power when you really think about it. It's why the Romans and, and many other empires and nations of the world still today use death as the ultimate fear tactic. Because when you hold life and death, you hold power. Which is why the Romans crucified anybody who defied them. See, the the cross already had significance in the Roman world before Jesus ever came along. The cross symbolized to the world that Rome was in charge. And if you defied them, they would kill you in the most humiliating way. That was how they exercised their power. That has always been the way that the enemy, the oppressor, has exercised power. The power of the oppressor is always in its ability to kill, to do something, in other words, that is irreversible. Until Jesus until this exact moment in history, until this Easter morning, in that tomb, in a garden, when the power that death had over humanity, all of that power was taken away because Jesus robbed death of its power. Romans 6 verse 9, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, death no longer has mastery over him. The first human being ever that death no longer has mastery over. And because God did that for Jesus, because God's work demonstrated how far his power could go, the early Christians could believe that he would do that for them as well. That for all who would follow after Jesus, would follow in this event as well. Which is why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 6, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up in power. And in Thessalonians 4, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The whole New Testament, again, is built on this reality that Jesus died and was resurrected and that we now have that same hope a living hope, a new birth, he says. This hope, in other words, is alive right now. Because this hope, the hope that he was raised, and so too we will be raised, because of this hope, we have new birth in Jesus already now. It's not just a future reality. The future impacts the present. We have a living hope now. Our lives can testify to that hope now. That is the great reality of Easter. But as Jesus asked Martha, do we believe this? Do we believe this? Or do we merely hope that this is what will happen. Because you have to admit, it can be a pretty hard sell, especially in this modern age, to explain the resurrection to somebody and to say that that is the foundation of your faith. When you really think about it, the resurrection is actually pretty unbelievable. Picture yourself at a memorial service for someone you've loved, to have watched them suffer through illness, to host a whole service for them, to weep, while watching their body being lowered into the ground, putting dirt on top, it's unchangeable. It's irreversible. You know in the moment that it's an end. You would never expect in that moment to suddenly see them alive again. And yet that's exactly what the disciples experienced. It's exactly what gave them hope going forward. So it's actually possible and therefore believable. And to live the life of faith, we need to believe that Jesus has the same plan for us. Because if God can do that with Jesus, with his crucified, malformed, weak, slashed up, utterly abused and broken body, my goodness, imagine what he can do with us. And it's not just in Scripture that we see evidence of this reality. Our own hearts and our minds testify to this. We're wired to hope for it. Think think about what happens when someone you love passes away. You start seeing them everywhere. Have you ever had that experience? You think you see them everywhere. We resist the idea that death is able to have the final say. We want to believe otherwise. Because something within the human spirit makes us long for the resurrection. For death to not have the power that it does. Something is wired within us, a yearning, an ache, a hope that makes us want to believe in life after death for there to be something more. All of the greatest movies and stories of all time have involved resurrection and redemption. Because it's just too good to be true. Harry Potter was resurrected. Neo in the Matrix was resurrected. Humans have this hole in their hearts for stories of resurrection because stories like that enlarge our souls to think about eternity. There's something within us that longs for this story to be true. Jesus has tapped into that hope because he's put that hope there in the first place. And now he's provided us with hope for that hope, with expectation for that longing, for with with anticipation for that ache. There is hope for us beyond the grave because he did it first. He showed us that it's possible and that this was God's plan all along. And if we're wired to believe this, that means that we can believe in resurrection. No matter what the circumstances. Because you can know in your knowest of knows that there is hope. That no matter how spiritually dry or far from God we may feel, there is yet something at the core of our being that says, This isn't it. Even if it's the smallest little voice, there's something within us that says, This is not it. There's something more. This isn't where it ends. That's the beauty and the mystery of belief, of believing, the kind of belief that Jesus asks of Martha. It's different than simply hoping for a happy ending, which is actually how she responds to him. Yeah, I believe that something's gonna happen at the end that's gonna help me. No, no, do you believe who I am today? Do you believe who I am now, in this moment? Believing in resurrection Means that even we, when we don't feel like believing in it, when we're grieving, when we're hurting, we know that someone has gone before us who can help us even in our unbelief. Why? Because it's not actually we who are controlling it. As Paul says in Ephesians 1 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The power, in other words, that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within you. I'm going to say that again. The same, this is one of the most amazing truths in all of Scripture, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is right now alive and at work in you. Already now, our eyes simply need to be opened to see it and to know it. Because then, once that happens, we start to realize that Jesus didn't die and resurrect only to save us from our sins for a future hope. He came also to heal us of our deepest wounds already now. See, there's a reason why his resurrected body still had the scars. He holds his own scars and he holds ours as well. Whatever pain you're experiencing, or have experienced, or are currently experiencing, his resurrection means that that pain, it doesn't mean, I should say, his resurrection doesn't mean that that pain doesn't matter anymore. No, his resurrection means that he can hold the weight of it. He can hold it in the weight of his own wounded hands, that he sees you in your pain, and that he holds the power to heal even the deepest of wounds. Because his resurrection shows us that anything, anything, even death itself, is reversible in God's kingdom. This, I think, is the message that our broken world needs to hear. Just as the early Christians centered themselves on this truth of Jesus' resurrection, so I think we too need to make every effort to make resurrection a regular part of our conversations and our reality and our, and our vocabulary to remind ourselves all the time that this is what God does. This is what God is in the business of doing all the time. This is our new reality because again, resurrection isn't just an end times thing. That is something we hope for, absolutely. But he's not only raising us from the dead at the end, he's infiltrating all of our lives with glimmers, with signposts of the resurrection. When Jesus took Matthew out of that tax collecting booth and he took him out of a vocation that made him a stench in the eyes of his fellow Jews, that was a form of new birth, of resurrection. When Jesus called Peter And Peter fell at his feet and said, no, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. But Jesus says to him, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That's resurrection, a form of new life. When Jesus took seven demons out of Mary Magdalene, that was resurrection. When Jesus met with a Samaritan woman at the well, a woman who had lived a life of shame, but then he turns her into an evangelist, that's resurrection. That's new life. Last Sunday, we had a woman named Natalie sharing with us. She was a refugee that had come to Canada, and she used the language of new birth when she came here. That's resurrection. She was given new life. My husband Danny, when, when he was in the hospital and late at night, he had just gotten out of surgery, he was doped up on drugs. The first thing he said to me was, Jenna, I'm alive. God is good. <laughs> that's resurrection. When we see outside now, new shoots coming out of the ground after the dead of winter, that's resurrection. Anytime we have a new child being born on the same day that somebody passes into glory, that's resurrection. There are glimmers of hope all around us. Every time we see or hear of these sorts of things happening, These are glimmers of the hope that is yet to come. They're signposts and moments that point us forward towards the future hope that we are yet waiting for. The future hope brings hope into the present. Don't get me wrong. There are seasons of life when our pain can be so overpowering that any sort of hope in life after death or or new life in the present moment just feels thin and unrealistic. We'd actually rather just linger in our pain because it feels more real to us. But whether we feel that kind of death, whether it's in our grief, in our shame, in our regrets, in our scars, in our woundedness, we need to trust this that Jesus knows how to bring resurrection into any circumstance. Because this is what he does, he reverses. The irreversible. Philip Yancey tells the story of when he was growing up. Easter was always associated with death. Because one year his family had just gotten a new little kitten. And on Easter morning, that Sunday morning, the family witnessed this poor little kitten being torn apart by the aggressive neighbor's dog. And so he he grew to associate Easter with death, with this word irreversible. His kitten was dead. That couldn't be changed. There are just some things in life that cannot be changed. But as he got older, he began to see that Easter offers us the awesome promise of reversibility. The promise that in God's kingdom, there is nothing that cannot be reversed. Because suddenly now, because of Easter morning, even death was reversible. Evil still exists. Evil still existed when Jesus was raised on the cross. Rome still occupied Palestine. Death and evil still reigned. God didn't keep bad things from happening. God didn't keep Jesus from dying. God didn't stop the crucifixion. No, God raised him from the dead. He did something totally new. He took pain and he turned it into glory. And when that happened, A new reality, a new belief in a new sort of power broke into this world. Something that had never come here before. Things that were originally thought to be irreversible were suddenly reversible. And there were signs of it everywhere. People of God, the pain that we experience in life because of Easter now is no longer the norm. It's the contradiction. It's the fallacy, it's the distortion. Easter now is our reality. And in his grace, Jesus offers us glimmers of this reality throughout our lives so that we can stand firm on the belief that our hearts and our minds yearn to be true. We can believe him when he says in Revelation 1, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look. I'm alive. Forever and ever. And I hold the keys. Of death and Hades. This is our foundation. Easter is what sets everything off. This is the rock on which we stand. Because he rose from death. He holds the power. He holds the keys. He is now Lord of this earth, an author of life and death. We do not need to fear even when we falter in our faith, even at times when we linger in disbelief, because just as he was able to repurpose the cross for glory, to reverse even the greatest of evils, so is he able to take our disbelief and turn it into devotion. Do we believe this? Let's pray. Living God, you who raised Jesus from the grave, we pray this morning that you would resurrect our belief Show us, Lord, glimmers of your salvation in our day-to-day. Help us to see it everywhere. Enlighten our eyes. Help our lingering faith. So that even when all feels lost and evil seems to overwhelm, we can yet believe and stand firm in your ability to bring resurrection. May we proclaim as your people, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In the power-filled name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.